This is Calgary Today with Angela Cocott on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. I don't know if we should be changing our tune when it comes to the attitude we have towards some drugs. Well, probably all drugs. Because we often, and even this week, once again, we heard the number of overdeaths when it came to carfentanil. We've heard about how many lives have been lost with fentanyl. Most drugs in the beginning were created for good. And then something went wrong and they became a street drug or they became mixed with other drugs and people had bad reactions and overdoses and died. I want to know, though, if we we kind of put blinders on when it comes to thinking of what we can do with drugs and just lumping them all together. And even marijuana goes into this, too, because that's why I think a lot of people have a hard time even even agreeing with the idea of someday legalizing marijuana. But we put blinders on and we think all drugs are bad. And when we think all drugs are bad, there is probably a criminal element that says, here's our opportunity. People want to get their hands on them. Why don't we get them to them? Uh, We don't care what's in them. We just want to make our money. So I want to talk about drugs and the fact that Some drugs, as hard as it is to believe, especially when it comes to psychedelic drugs, actually serve a purpose. My guest this half hour is, I want to make sure I've got the name right, Mark Hayden, adjunct professor, UBC School of Population and Public Health, executive director of MAPS Canada. MAPS Canada is Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. (coughs) Professor Hayden, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thank you, Angela. And that is a long title, but tell me what Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies is all about. Well, we're doing legal research into psychedelics. Our main study is looking at the effectiveness of MDMA-assisted psychotherapy for post-traumatic stress disorder. And curiously enough, we were presenting to the Canadian military a couple of weeks ago in their, their military health conference, and we won Best Presentation of the Show. How long have you been doing the research on MDMA? Well, we're into about our fourth year because what we're doing is we're going to legalize it. We're going to legalize MDMA-assisted psychotherapy. So any drug that has been prescribed by any physician has gone through stage one, two, and three clinical trials. And we finished our stage two, and that's taken us about four years, and we're now gearing up for our stage three clinical trial. We anticipate MDMA will be legal as an assistant for a psychotherapeutic process in about four years. When you say we are going to legalize it, who is the we? Well, MAPS and MAPS Canada um, is the organization, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, and then the Canadian branch. So it will happen. We have to get Health Canada to approve everything we're doing. Mm -hmm. So our Canadian process will result in it being legalized in Canada, and the American process, we're a multi-country trial, and the American process will result in it being legalized in the United States. Mark, what does it mean to be legalized, though? Well, it'll be available on... I mean, we don't actually know exactly. This is a very interesting question, because there are some details in there that we don't know. But essentially, the, the bottom line is it'll be available for people who are therapists to use it in the context of PTSD treatment um, in psychotherapy. 
Um, we could go all over the place with that conversation, yeah. but um, that, that's the bottom line. All right, because when people hear legalize, they, they say, wait a second, does that mean uh, any, at least an adult, would be able to go and buy MDMA somewhere? At this point, the way you see it being legalized is through uh, a trained and accredited therapist to use specifically in therapy for PTSD. Yes. Four years ago, when you began researching MDMA and its effects on those suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, I'm just wondering where that all began. Because, I mean, was it just uh, a number of drugs that were out there and then said, let's specifically look at this and how it helps or hurts those people suffering from PTSD? Well, the particular study that got us all very excited by is by a fellow named Michael Mithoffer. And what he did is he demonstrated a level of effectiveness of PTSD treatment that had never been seen before. Your average um, success of post-traumatic stress disorder treatment is about 25%. And if you're incredibly optimistic, you can push it up to 40%. And Michael Mithoffer demonstrated a level of effectiveness of 83%. And he did it really quickly. By that, I mean three months, because usually it takes years to treat people for PTSD. Now, normally, when anybody who is recommending a treatment that's in opposition to another treatment, um, you're looking at two, three, four, maybe 5%. And so to go from 40% at best to 83%, normally a researcher would look at that and say, you're falsifying your data. Mm. That cannot be true. Yeah. So what we are doing is we're replicating. And we're replicating with the FDA in the United States and Health Canada and in the University Ethics Board watching everything that we're doing. And so far, we are continuing to demonstrate a high level of success. Before these clinical trials with MDMA, what were the treatments for those people with PTSD? Well, um, antidepressant medications is one of them. Um, psychotherapeutically, um, flooding is what it's called, where you expose the person to the trauma in a very controlled way and hope that the prolonged exposure reduces the emotional response to it. Sometimes it does, and sometimes it actually makes it worse. So we do a very different technique. Oh, flooding. So could you give me an example if someone, every time they hear gunshots, is that it, it, it triggers something? Is that what the flooding would be? They'd have to hear a whole bunch of gunshots? Well, you would uh, typically, you would sit down, often it's with soldiers. So you say, give me a bunch of images that will trigger this for you. Yeah. So they provide photographs or images or sounds and they kind of put the images up on the wall and they kind of create this scenario that is stimulating the PTSD for them. Mm. And then they expose them to what they have created in a variety of different ways. All right, so that's flooding. But what have you found then when patients take the MDMA? Well, a level of effectiveness of about 83%. And some of the questions I get asked, well, well do they go on and continue to want to use the MDMA? Yeah. And the answer is absolutely not. It's a bit like climbing Mount Everest. It's a very difficult process to go through. It's treatment. It is treatment for PTSD, and when you're healed from PTSD, you don't want to go back and do the treatment again. So they don't have to take MDMA for the rest of their life? They do it three times in our study. Our, our study research yeah. protocol is um, three dosage with lots of therapy surrounding it. And there I said ecstasy. It's really not ecstasy, is it? Well, ecstasy is a pill with a funky logo on it that may or may not have MDMA mm. in it. So no, it's not ecstasy, it's methylene dioxymethamphetamine, it's pure MDMA that we're giving people.
Can you give me some of the history of MDMA? Like, why was it created in the first place? Do you know, Mark? I don't expect you to be an expert on that, but do you have any of the history on that? Originally, it was um, discovered by a fellow named Alexander Shulgin, but it went into the therapeutic community at first. It was used for counseling. It was used in couples therapy. It was used for the treatment of a variety of therapeutic issues. And it was interesting when the DEA in the United States wanted to criminalize it because it, it left the therapist's couch and went into the dance scene. Mm. So the American legislators decided that they wanted to criminalize it, and the therapist took them to court saying, no, this is so useful for healing people. We don't think it should be criminalized. And the courts sided with the therapist. Mm. They won but the DEA went ahead and criminalized it anyway, and then what we had is ecstasy, and ecstasy is impure, unknown dosage, unknown quality, all kinds of adulterants that actually occasionally kill people. So that was the outcome of the criminalization process. It was taken away from the therapists and given to organized crime. And that's what I wanted to say at the beginning there, and, and I know your research focuses on MDMA, but sometimes the problems that occur when a drug that was created, as you say, for therapeutic purposes is criminalized. And, and I don't know if you have an opinion on this or not, but are there, do you think we have to have that conversation where we've got to rethink the way we look at some drugs? Yes, the process of criminalization of drugs does not work for any of us. Now, that's a much larger conversation that you and I could have, but we could take that to the fentanyl problem. The fentanyl problem is a problem of drug prohibition. It's not a problem. Yeah, it's, it's, it's what we have created because we criminalize drugs. So essentially what we're doing in MAPS is we're basically saying, let's explore the benefits, let's put a structure on top of it, in this case it's therapy, and let's demonstrate in a research paradigm how these drugs can be used. And that really challenges the drug war fairly fundamentally, saying this drug is just horrible and bad. Well, no, in certain contexts it's incredibly healing. I love, though, the fact that you say when it's criminalized, then you deal with unknown doses, unknown quality, and I know you're referencing MDMA, but that can be you can say that about so many drugs that society then turns around and has some major issues with. No drugs were ever made safer by giving them to organized crime to control. Okay, hold on here, Mark. i got a few more questions for you. Mark Hayden is my guest. He is adjunct professor, UBC School of Population and Public Health, executive director of the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. We're talking about, well, in this case, MDMA and its therapeutic benefits as seen by uh, clinical trials that are going on in relation to PTSD. Mark Hayden is my guest, Executive Director for Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, or MAP. And uh, Mark, I've got a number of questions. So one person is saying, specifically, how does MDA help the person? 83% effectiveness is not an answer. So this texter is just wondering, so what is this drug doing that allows someone who suffers from PTSD to be, in a sense, cured? Well, it's in the context of psychotherapy. So the first thing that MDMA does is it reduces the permeability between the conscious and the unconscious mind. If you think about what PTSD is, imagine you had a soldier in battle who had a buddy blow up on him and he had to lie there in his blood for hours. And then he comes back to 
North America, and he relives the explosion again and again and again, and any small sounds result in huge emotional responses. So what that is, the way I would describe that, that's an unconscious tape loop. It's something you can't immediately access with your conscious mind. What you experience is the emotional turbulence, and it just fires off, the word is flashbacks, it just fires off in ways that are completely out of control to the person who's experiencing it. Mm -hmm. So it's also very distressing for somebody who believes that they're tough, often a soldier. And so the first thing that MDMA does is it reduces the permeability between the conscious and the unconscious mind so you can actually access the tape loop. Now, when normal therapies that are designed to do that start to approach the tape loop, the answer or the, the emotional response is a fear one. People become very agitated and fearful. So it's in, the tape loop is encrusted with fear. And so and the second thing that MDMA does is it reduces the fear. So you, you not only can access the tape loop, but you can also go through the fear barrier and find a way of reworking it. And the third thing that MDMA does is it's, it's called an empathogen. I think that's a better description of it than a psychedelic because it's, it's incredibly useful for building an alliance between the therapist and the subject. And any therapeutic technique is usually predictable. The success of any therapeutic technique is predictable based on the strength of the alliance between the therapist and the subject. And MDMA is really, really helpful for that. So it really does three things. And, and so you're able to then recognize what you're going through, the reality and what, what's real and what's not real almost. Well, you can rework the tape loop, yeah. basically, to take away the emotional fear the, and the, the reactivity of it and the, the repetitive, repetitiveness of it. So you can actually rework it so you can go back to living your normal life. Often when people approach us, they're actually housebound. They're not able to go outside at all because of the uh, level of severity of the PTSD. But to the point where they don't need, well, would they still need talk therapy? Um, I'm wondering if they finally get beyond, as you say, breaking through that fear. Well, the process is psychotherapy. They have a three-month process that is a psychotherapeutic process. But when it's over, the research has shown us that it is enduring. By that, I mean the, the healing continues beyond the point of the study being over. Hmm. Okay, uh, questions that I can't answer here. Someone says, Ange, my granddaughter got hooked on heroin. She started out on a drug called MDMA. As far as I'm concerned, anybody that's promoting this drug is nothing more than a drug dealer themselves. Does that make any sense to you at all, Mark? And I know I'm going to get a lot of stories and anecdotes here with people and drugs. Um, well, it doesn't, because we're not dealing drugs. What we're providing is MDMA-assisted psychotherapy for people who are incredibly damaged by PTSD. And um, we're talking to first responders, we're talking to military, we're talking to fire ambulance and police. Um, and the, the pain of PTSD is profound. I mean, 22 soldiers per day kill themselves in the United States. More soldiers have died from suicide than have ever died from on the battlefield and if we have something can actually heal them we would be unwise not to pursue it and i think the sad thing about ptsd is our veterans come back and on the outside everything looks fine and unfortunately mentally they're struggling and that's probably even why it's even more difficult for them to go seek help 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, here's another one, Mark. Someone said, um, or someone texted, can you ask him about dimethyltryptamine, DMT, and cannabis on the effect of PTSD? Have you ever heard about that kind of drug treatment? Well, um, yes. So the, the cannabis is being promoted as, a, um, as, as useful in PTSD, and my understanding of it is that it really is about symptom control. So it's about managing the symptoms. It isn't about healing people. Mm. And so it's ongoing symptom control that you have to do frequently. The, sub- the subjects that we work with don't need to continue any drugs. In fact, often they come off everything, including mental health medications. So our process is a way of getting people off of both illegal and legal prescriptions and other drugs. The cannabis process is ongoing and, it's, and it manages symptoms. Um, DMT, dimethyltryptamine, is the active ingredient in ayahuasca. And some people who use it are also claiming that it's useful for PTSD, and people go down to Peru for that. But to be honest with you, I haven't seen any research on that. I've just heard it anecdotally. So when we talk about MDA in this case, and you say how close you are to having it legalized in the hands of therapists, is that as far as, well, you're, you know, you come from that world, but do you think that's where it should stop, uh, making sure that it's still controlled and still only given to therapists who then use it in their therapy? Um, no, I think it should continue beyond that. So it shouldn't just be MDMA for PTSD. There are other psychedelic treatments, um, specifically the one that's been in the media quite a bit is end-of-life anxiety and psilocybin. So if you, if you think about psychedelics generally, there are three possible concerns or risks that they, one can have. One is toxicity, and one can argue, in fact, Albert Hoffman, who invented LSD, argued it was the least toxic drug on the planet. So the risks of toxicity are low, especially with pure drugs of known quality. The next risk is dependency, and I worked in the addiction services as a manager, supervisor, and counselor for close to 30 years, and nobody ever walked in anybody's office saying, I can't stop taking LSD. It doesn't happen. Psychedelic drugs are not addictive in the way that heroin and cocaine are. Mm. So the dependency potential is essentially zero. The the toxicity potential is low. So all of the harms, and there are harms. When, When drugs are done illegally, there are harms. And they all come down to the same thing. It's people taking unknown drugs of unknown purity in uncontrolled environments where they are not appropriately supervised. These drugs are not new. Psychedelic drugs have been around for centuries in Aboriginal communities, but they've always been in the context of supervision by elders in the celebration of transitions and healing and spirituality. And essentially, when there's, people are supervised, there is only benefit and there, harms don't happen. So, uh, yes. The harms happen, but it's because we criminalize them that the harms happen. Yeah. And even when you're you're dividing the psychedelics versus the when you said heroin or cocaine or the the opiates, then that would be the big difference: a psychedelic drug versus an opiate. Am I simplifying well, there are different it classifications of yeah. drugs. I mean, there's uppers, downers, psychedelics, and cannabis. I argue there are four different classifications of drugs, and they all have different risks and benefits. Mm. And we could go through the list and explore the different risks and benefits of all of them, if you'd like. Uh, I know I don't have the time for that, Mark, but I, I've, I've taken enough of your time. You, you've, you've started this conversation, and we really appreciate it. Hey, you're welcome. All right, Mark Hayden. He is an adjunct professor, UBC School of Population, Public Health, and executive director of MAPS Canada, which is the multidisciplinary association for psychedelic studies. Calgary Today with Angela Cocott, weekdays at 3 on News Talk 770 Calgary.